Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gittler, My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number four in our series for 2021, and today's date is Friday, February the 26th. First, I'll be talking to Colin Hewitt, the founder and CEO of Float, a Scottish accounting software startup that opened an office in Sydney in 2019, and he will talk about the lessons businesses can learn from managing finances during so much uncertainty. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest unemployment figures. But now, let's talk to Colin Hewitt. Colin, there are enormous cash flow implications for businesses with post-COVID government support, such as JobKeeper, and that's right around the world. What are the cash flow implications? Yeah, I think businesses are struggling to plan, you know, to understand what needs they're going to have, especially around around their staff. As And JobKeeper is obviously one of the um, solutions is trying to, to give some stability there. But obviously, as you know, as as companies are now starting to to wonder how long that's going to be in place for, they're they're starting to have to make decisions, and that starts getting into the need to to look at various scenarios as to what they can afford and and multiple what ifs paths that they need to plan for. It's quite it's quite a big quite a big deal for many businesses. So there's quite a lot of scenario planning. Absolutely, we've seen you know we've seen a huge surge in demand um, in our product for from accountants and bookkeepers who are, you know, needing to do this en masse for maybe fifty to hundred of their clients because they're all asking the same question. What happens if 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 we if the jobkeeper scheme runs to an end? Uh, we have a similar scheme in the UK. And so, and also in the U.S. So, basically, planning for the for those scenarios, bringing people back, putting them back on the payroll, and also looking at um, depleted sales and very uncertain sales over the ne- over the next period. It just there's a lots of uh, moving parts at the moment. Have you ever seen anything like this before? I've never seen this anything like this before. No, I was speaking to somebody yesterday in um, hospitality industry. They were saying that you know they thought that people were always going to have to go to bars and restaurants. So they've always said that they were fine. And obviously, life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Generally, that's true. People will always want to go out and eat and they'll want to socialize, but this is the one. Uh, situation where that's that's um, not not possible so yeah it's a, it's a strange time and it's it's nice in the UK we're starting to see I went out yesterday uh, to pick up some groceries and saw people sitting in some bars and restaurants and it's definitely you know heartening to see that happen again but how long for we're, we're just not sure and uh, there'll be huge uh, cash flow and counting cash flow and accounting issues for national businesses wouldn't it uh, with the economic impact of COVID-19 because it's so widely spread mm. but at the same time it's so widely spread but different regions different states different towns different mm. cities are feeling the impact differently so mm. what are the cash flow and accounting implications of that for businesses yeah well I, I can't speak too much to the accounting implications but certainly from a cash flow point of view you know we're seeing that people are starting to have to think running running different promotions in different parts just, you know so uh if you're if you're business to business um you know you know that your customers are struggling as well uh very likely so we're, we're seeing lots of initiatives like people saying look we're not going to charge you for the next couple of months or we're going to give you seriously reduced rates to give you a chance to, to survive as a business so you can still be our customer and you know that that will need to be those schemes will need to be rolled out in, differently for different locations because you know everybody's going through different things so you know for example we're rolling out a promotion in, uh for businesses in victoria at the moment because they're they're they've gone into this local lockdown again so we really want to help uh, and so therefore we've we've been doing promotions on on float to to give them access to float with um for a period of time so that they can actually get through this uh, so, so I think you really need to come together as a, as a leadership team and, and get the strategy right for what you're doing, and that is changing on a on a pretty regular basis. So, it's all it's all go. And it would be particularly difficult because it's varying from uh, city to city, and region to region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, you know more than ever now we're seeing a need for. Um, businesses to get their financial reporting s- cycle in a much faster in a much faster loop from when they're taking their, and recording their sales and their expenses, getting those plugged into their accounting software and getting getting real time cash flow reporting out almost as as soon as they can because things are changing so fast. So you know, traditionally, what we've had is we've had you've had spreadsheets which have had forecasts that are made up of maybe twelve to twenty four months. 
uh, and then you've had you've had your accounting data management accounting which is sitting somewhere else and and really we're we're seeing the opportunity for those to, to come together so the management accounts are, are impacting the forecasts in real time and people can actually start to, to um, make make faster responses the issue is the cycle has to speed up exactly right? exactly and and it's 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 exciting i think to be be part of the industry in this time because you know that that just opens up a lot more possibilities for so many more businesses you know instead of having their a financial report that many business owners don't understand hit their desk you know a couple of months out of date um what they can now expect is if they're using the tools available to them they're getting they're getting uh management information almost you know to the day and that's able to then inform their forecasts and that that's what you know, that's, that's the system that we're in. And that's happened through banking becoming more um, widely accessible online. Tools like Receipt Bank and HubDoc, uh, for, as soon as you get an invoice now, that shouldn't sit on a desk for, you know, 24 hours. That should be straight into an, um, the accounting software. That then can, can be informing your cash flow because you're, you're seeing what's happening. And, and also what we allow people to do is to set expect, realistic expected payment dates on when all their receivables are likely to get paid. So they're then able to get a very accurate pred- and prediction of what's their cash position going to be at the end of the, the, the week or the month. I'd imagine the technology would also particularly help uh, for businesses that are catering for global markets as well. Would that be right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're we're probably more in the um, SME space um, ourselves. So we, we focus on businesses that are generally, you know, maybe 10 to 50 people. But yeah, certainly, you know, we've just opened a, you know, we're in the UK, we've opened our Australia office. So we're, you know, now thinking of our, ourselves uh, in a more global context. And, you know, having that real-time information is absolutely critical for, you know, for that, to get that management and make decisions. You know, we need to know what's happening in the Australia office to be able to, to work out when we, if we're sending money over there or we're, we're transferring, you know, between bank accounts, that, that becomes huge. And, and services like TransferWise also make that, that much uh, more realistic and much more exciting as well because we can, you know, you're avoiding the fees. So the cash flow issues internationally now are becoming um, much less of an issue. And the technology just facilitates all of that, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So, so we're we, we're trying to we try to um, model it as much as we can. As in our own business, we've got we're using solutions like TransferWise. We've implemented a tool called Saldo recently for um, employee expense reporting. And again, that because that's that's not sitting in you know receipts in um, people's pockets for months uh, waiting to be submitted. That's actually coming through live as they make their their, their payments on their cards. So. Yeah, it's really it's really great to be able just to start to see everything come together. Now, uh, how should companies assess uh, COVID nineteen events after the reporting period? Uh, you're talking about the reporting period uh, in in Australia. In, in Australia. Yeah, um, I think you know we're all going to have to take a look at this and see, try and assess, uh, get a realistic assessment of where things are at from. You know what? What? How much of the business has been affected? Because sometimes, sometimes there'll be things that you know maybe the business is suffering, and it's not just related to COVID. Maybe there's other issues, but uh, you know we're trying to ascertain in the period like what the impact has been, and and I think if we can do that, and obviously we're not out of this yet, so it's a, it, I think that's going to be you know getting the advice of a trusted good accountant that's going to really help you that i think we're, we're that's the, that's our biggest um, recommendation is you know 
we're, there's, there's people much smarter than I am that are trying to bring some analysis into this. Uh, and also, I've seen some of my data from Zero, which is showing the kind of impact that it's having across different sectors. So certainly being able to, to apply that information to your forecast for the next financial year, there's a lot of really good data starting to emerge about how, how to sort of look at that from that side of things. And uh, will the uptake of digital accounting make businesses more robust and capable of dealing with, say, something like another COVID-related economic downturn? Because there will be more. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, it's just absolutely critical now that businesses have that real-time dashboard of what is happening in their business and you know using these tools um like i was saying the, the data capture tools the the online banking the the accounting software and then the, the re- reporting and forecasting software that's available you know this is going to absolutely help to know to know your tax liability be able to understand you know which clients are not paying and how much how much cash you're sitting on that you know is receivable so all of that information is really is there to help come together and make better forecasts and predictions, which, um, you know, we think that having the accounting software at the core of that is, um, is absolutely essential. Well, we'll be watching that with great interest and, uh, uh, and good on float. That's fantastic. Thanks, Leon. Good to talk to you. Thank you. And now let's talk to Indeed economist Callum Pickering. Well, Callum Pickering, we had the jobs figures out uh, this week and uh, we've gone down from 6.6% to 6.4%, but it looks... Very complicated. What's your view about that? Yeah, so at first glance, it certainly looked as though it was a pretty strong jobs report. Um, Employment increased by 29,000, which is pretty good at this point in the recovery. As you said, the unemployment rate declined. Um, Broader measures such as the underemployment rate also uh, fell to a a two-year low. Um, But there were a couple of small concerns. The, The major one was that growth in January was largely concentrated in Victoria. In fact, if you exclude Victoria, employment actually fell across the rest of the country. And what that indicates is that growth in January was driven by the reopening of the Victorian economy um, and that there really isn't much momentum across the rest of the country. So that's going to be something that we really need to keep an eye on um, because if that continues, um, it is likely that employment growth across the country, including Victoria, is going to slow in the coming months. And, of course, uh, Victoria will come off of the momentum of reopening, won't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, you can't rely on that as a source of growth for very long. Um, the Victorian economy opened up in November. Um, we've seen strong employment growth over the past three months. It is likely that that impact will diminish in the next month or two. So we really do need to see a pickup in momentum across the rest of the country um, for our recovery to continue at its current pace. And hours worked also dropped, didn't it? Yeah, this was an interesting one. So hours worked fell by 4.9%, which ordinarily is something that we would be very concerned about. Um, But the ABS indicated that it does appear as though a a larger than normal number of Australians took vacation um, during January. Um, It's obviously been a a stressful and and frustrating year, so it's certainly understandable that... um, more people than, than normal took some time off. And so I don't necessarily think that's something that we should be concerned about right now. Um, and I would expect that hours work would rebound quite strongly when the February data comes out next month. The unemployment was very high among young people. Yeah, that's right. Um, as the recovery has progressed, it's become clear that the impact is being felt the most by younger people. So employment for those aged 15 to 24 it's still down around 5% from its peak. 
and that compares to um, 0.5% um, decline from its peak for Australia as a whole. So the impact has been much greater there. We're also seeing a much bigger impact for those aged 25 to 34. Employment for that group's down by around 2%. This is going to be really important as we sort of um, as the recovery progresses, because what history tells us with recessions and downturns such as the global financial crisis is that the impact upon younger people can persist for a number of years and certainly much longer than it does for the rest of the population. And certainly at this stage in our recovery, it appears as though that is the case um, for the COVID-19 crisis as well. Uh, and that could continue for some time, couldn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, past recessions and, and downturns indicate that it can take a number of years for employment among younger people to get back to where it was uh, pre-recession or downturn. And I think from a from a policy standpoint, policymakers such as the, the federal government, state governments, need to be acutely aware of this. Um, and they should be targeting younger people when they look at policies to improve jobs growth. It's going to be really important for us over the next couple of years. Now, uh Basically, the figures, as I understand, show that 90% of the jobs are back, but that would indicate there aren't any new jobs in the, on, on the pipeline. Well, we're slowly getting back to where we were. Um, the Reserve Bank expects that employment will exceed its previous peak um, at some point this year. I think it's possible that we might get there by mid-year. Um, but, yeah, so far, employment is still 64,000 people below where it was in February last year. So while we have made a lot of progress and the recovery has actually gone faster than anticipated, um, it is true that the, the economy itself is smaller um, than it was a year ago and we still have a, a fair way to go before we get back to where we were. The other issue too is that uh, there's pressure on the government regarding JobKeeper and, and uh, what, what do these figures say about the future of JobKeeper? The overall data does suggest the economy is much better placed to absorb the impact of removing JobKeeper and JobSeeker than it was even a few months ago. Um, the labour market is stronger today than it was um, you know, a couple of months ago. Um, but there are some concerns about removing these policies. The economy has been relying on these policies to keep the economy um, ticking over for the past 12 months. And it's been particularly important for smaller businesses. And it's been particularly important for uh, workers in certain industries, such as hospitality, arts and recreation, um, industries of, of that nature. So when these policies are removed, it's likely to be highly disruptive and challenging uh, for smaller businesses and, and certain industries across the country. And what that could do from an uh, employment standpoint is that it could cause the recovery to, to slow. Um, or potentially it could cause unemployment to rise. Now, we really don't know what the impact will be, largely because we've never been in a situation where we've pulled so much government money out of an economy at, at one time. And we don't know the true extent to which businesses, particularly small businesses, are relying on these policies to uh, keep afloat. So it's going to be an interesting few months, and I suspect that the... Uh, the employment figures could be highly volatile throughout the removal of these policies. Because uh, one of the uh, predictions is that when you remove JobKeeper, we're going to have a surge in uh, insolvencies. Yeah, that's the expectation. Um, as I said, we really don't truly understand what the, the impact is going to be. There's a high degree of uncertainty surrounding this. But the belief is that there are a lot of zombie businesses out there that um, would be dead if not for, for JobKeeper. 
And as we remove that policy, we're going to get a much firmer idea um, whether that's the case or not. Now, uh, do the jobs figures indicate uh, any particular sectors coming out better than others? Um, not at the moment. The, the January data didn't include an update from an industry standpoint. We'll actually have to wait to uh, next month um, for an industry-style breakdown. Um, generally speaking, I mean, as we look at the recovery over the past six months, most industries have improved considerably. Um, that's through to November, so it's a little bit dated. There are a couple of industries that continue to be quite uh, weak from a job standpoint, and hospitality is the, is the key one there. Accommodation and food services has been the, the industry that has been the hardest hit by COVID-19, and that appears to, to still be the case, whether we're looking at employment data or whether we're looking at things such as uh, job vacancies or, or job postings online. So while most sectors have come back pretty strongly, uh, you know, heading in a positive direction, there are still a, a couple that are lagging behind. I would imagine that tourism would be one of those also. Tourism is, is definitely one of those, yep. And, uh, and so what are the figures in terms of uh, part-time and full-time work? So one of the, the positives of the recovery over the past four months has been this shift towards more full-time job creation. So full-time employment increased by 59,000 people in January, which was twice the, the national rate of 29,000 people. Over the past four months, full-time employment has increased by almost 280,000 people. So that's, that's a really positive step in the recovery. Uh, early in the recovery, almost all the jobs that were coming back were of the part-time variety. And there was also this phenomenon of people who were formerly working full-time jobs suddenly forced into part-time work because there wasn't enough demand um, to justify employing them full-time. Um, that it does appear to have shifted in, in recent months. So that's a, it's a, a big positive um, so far and certainly something that we hope continues over the next few months. Now, in terms of wages growth, it still is abysmally low and we would need to have uh, an unemployment figure of, with a four in front of it, wouldn't it, till uh, we can see wages growth increasing. How far off are we from that? Well, I mean, the unemployment rate's at 6.4%, um, the underemployment rate's at 8.1%, which puts the underutilisation rate at 145 That's exceedingly high by historical standards, and that's consistent with a, a long-term wage growth of below 2%. Now, where we want wage growth is closer to 3%. That is the, the sweet spot that would push inflation back towards the RBA's target. And realistically, the unemployment rate is going to need to get below 5%, probably closer to 4.5% um, before we have a strong enough labour market to facilitate that sort of wage growth. Realistically, we are still at least several years away from achieving that. And of course, wage growth of that nature hasn't been something that we've achieved over the past six years. So this is not something that will be easy for policymakers to facilitate. Um, but that's, that's where we need to get to. So this could be several years away till we have a reasonably low unemployment rate. Yeah, that's the expectation. That's certainly what policymakers such as the Reserve Bank are, are telling us. I mean, they don't expect inflation to return to its target for the next three years. They don't anticipate increasing uh, the cash rate over that period of time, which basically means that they expect the unemployment rate to remain at a, a relatively high level over that, that period. Um, but as I said, you need to get well below 5% in order to facilitate the, the wage growth that we're looking for. And that's still a long way uh, to go yet. Well, 
Callum, that's all very interesting. And thank you very much for your time. Always a pleasure. Thank you. So what's happening in the news? Well, embattled casino giant Crown Resorts is facing full-scale inquiries in two states after Victoria said it would launch a royal commission into the James Packer-backed gambling company. Former Federal Court Judge Raymond Finkelstein QC will run the six-month investigation into Crown and assess the suitability of the gambling giant to hold its Victorian casino licence in light of the serious findings from New South Wales. In the wake of the Bergen report in New South Wales, which found Crown unsuitable to hold a licence at its freshly built Barangaroo Tower in Sydney, the $6.9 billion company is now also battling to keep hold of the licences for its casinos in Melbourne and Perth. Western Australian authorities launched their own inquiry last week. The latest regulatory push came as longtime Packer family friend and advertising veteran Harold Mitchell quit the Crown Board. He'd been urged to reflect on his directorship, held since 2011 by Commissioner Patricia Bergen, SC, when her report came out last Tuesday. Mr Mitchell's departure makes four directors who have left since the Bergen report dropped, along with Andrew Demetrio, Guy Jalland and Michael Johnson. Chairman Helen Coonan was last week elevated to Executive Chairman after Chief Executive Ken Barton also resigned. And Australia's job market will shrink by 11% by 2030 due to the rise of increasingly capable automation technology, knocking 1.5 million people out of work and stranding a million beyond the digital divide, a new study by global technology research firm Forrester has warned. The study follows the progress of the effects of automation on different types of employment, encompassing nearly 400 occupations tracked by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. It highlights numerous roles, such as office cubicle administration, that it says will drop by half, while showing the emergence of greater demand for some knowledge workers, digital specialists and human touch workers. Forrester's report groups 391 occupations into 12 different so-called automation personas, saying jobs in the same category will be affected similarly by automation over time. It found that as well as changing roles, the workforce structure will change also, with as many as one in three workers moving to the contingent labour force, taking side gigs from online marketplaces. Unsurprisingly, a cohort known as digital elites is expected to grow in size significantly, with a 25% increase in the number of roles created. Data scientists are one example raised by Forrester, with software and app developers, network and systems administrators, mathematicians and information security specialists in demand. And the Bank of Queensland is vying to take on the Big Four after confirming it will buy ME Bank for $1.3 billion. The deal will create a bank with $88 billion in assets and nearly 1.5 million customers. On Monday, the bank confirmed the 100% purchase of EMI Bank and said it would fund this via a $1.3 billion equity raising. EMI was founded 27 years ago by a group of Australian super funds and pitches itself as an alternative to the traditional banks for everyday Australians. Its biggest sources of revenue is home loans, which it relies largely on mortgage brokers to facilitate. And a registered Aboriginal heritage site has been damaged at one of the BHP's Pilbara iron ore mines, despite the major miner pledging in June to consult with traditional owners before disturbing sites in the area. In late January, a culturally significant rock shelter was impacted at BHP's Mining Area C project in the Pilbara, causing a rockfall at the site. It is understood neither BHP or the Banjima people are clear on what caused the damage. Mining Area C is adjacent to PHP's US $3.06 billion, that's Aussie $4 billion, South Flank project, 
which is under construction and will be the largest iron ore mining and processing facility ever built in Western Australia. It is located on Banchima's traditional lands in Western Australia's Pilbara region, 130 kilometres northwest of Newman. The news comes almost a year after fellow Pilbara miner Rio Tinto drew international condemnation when it destroyed 46,000-year-old Aboriginal rock shelters while blasting at the Jukan Gorge in the same region. The destruction of Jukan went against the wishes of the traditional owners, the Putu, Kunti, Kurama and Pinukara people, shocked investors, forced the resignation of former Chief Executive John Sebastian Shark and two of his deputies, and sparked the Federal Parliamentary Inquiry. And Facebook has agreed to restore Australian news on its platform in the coming days, following an agreement with the government on amendments to a proposed law that would force big tech to pay for news. The world's largest social media company said on Tuesday it was satisfied that a number of changes and guarantees it had agreed with Canberra addressed its concerns over the bill. The proposed law is being debated in Parliament and could become a model for other governments' efforts to reframe the relationship between dominant tech platforms and the media. Facebook had argued that the legislation fundamentally misunderstood its interaction with publishers and penalised the company for content it didn't take or ask for. It abruptly blocked the sharing of news in the country altogether last week, causing a public backlash after access to critical emergency services and health pages was cut off. The changes could give Facebook and Google, the companies most vulnerable to the code, more flexibility to escape the most stringent aspects of it. For example, authorities would have to consider whether a company had made a significant contribution to the news industry by reaching commercial deals with media businesses. The contentious final arbitration model contained in the code will be stipulated as a last resort when commercial deals cannot be reached. And Grocon Chief Executive Daniel Grollo, along with all executives, have been made redundant as part of the latest wave of administrations at the troubled building giant. The departure of Mr Grollo ends a chain of members of the Grollo family started by CEO Luigi Grollo. The move comes as Mr Grollo's luxury sub-penthouse in the Eureka Tower is now on the chopping block after the construction Sion placed 45 more corporate entities into administration on Monday. Mr Grollo was among 20 staff who were made redundant two weeks ago before the announcement made on Monday that 45 additional Grocon corporate entities would be placed into administration. Cordamenta Restructuring has been handling the administration of the 42 corporate entities and will now combine the additional 45 into a joint administration. Monday's move widens the collapse to 87 Grocon corporate entities, capturing major companies that had so far avoided the precipice. And as many as five coal-fired power stations will be running at a loss by 2025, and at least one faces early closure as the ageing generators struggle to compete against cheaper renewables surging into the national power grid, say researchers. New South Wales' largest coal-fired power plant, Origin Energy's Iraring, on the shore of Lake Macquarie, is headed to the, for the biggest loss by 2025, followed by Mount Piper and Vales Point B if electricity prices stay at 2020 levels for the next five years. The Gladstone Power Station in Queensland, part owned by Rio Tinto, and Energy Australia's Yalorn W in Victoria, will tip into loss-making territory if power prices dip even lower than 2015 levels. At least one power station is likely to face closure several years sooner than planned, say the researchers from Think Tank, the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis, and Green Energy Markets. This comes as the National Party pushes for the Commonwealth's Green Bank, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, to fund coal and gas power plants. 
and the profit reporting season continues. Reliance Worldwide reported a 12.8% increase in revenue to $642.4 million, while net profits soared 82.4% to $91.4 million. EBITDA rose 32% to $166.3 million. Bluescope reported a first-half net profit after tax of $330.3 million, up 78% from a year ago. Chorus said the first half net profit reached New Zealand $24 million compared to New Zealand $31 million in the same period a year ago. Operating revenue reached $473 million from $483 million. Costa Group swung to full-year statutory net profit of $60.8 million from a loss of $36.1 million a year ago. Profit from ordinary activities rose 295.9% to $67.4 million. Lendlease reported a 29.6% fall in revenue to $55.2 billion, while net profit slid 37.4% to $196 million. Ordnance swung to a loss of $1.3 million from a profit of $312,000 a year ago. Revenue dipped to $15.4 million from $16.1 million, hurt by a strengthening Australian dollar. Insurance services business PSC Insurance Group has posted a $13.6 million after-tax profit for the first half of 2021 financial year, a 55% increase on the first half of fiscal 2020. NIB Holdings revenue was steady at $1.3 billion, while net profit climbed 16% to $66.3 million. Group claims expenses rose 0.9% to $1 billion. Listed investment company WAM Global's first half net profit rose 80% to $49 million. MACA reported a first half net profit of $11.6 million, down 3% from a year ago. All Media swung to a full year loss of $35.7 million from a profit of $13.7 million a year ago. Online bookseller Booktopia increased its 2021 sales and earnings forecast despite posting a $19.8 million loss for the December half. The loss included one-off costs of $4.1 million associated with its $25 million initial public offering in December and costs of $18.6 million for the conversion of preference shares. Westgold Resources posted $301.8 million revenue in the six months to December 31, a 32% increase on $228.9 million effort for the first six months of the 2020 financial year. The company's after-tax profit jumped 390% to $47.5 million. 3P Learning's net loss has widened to $1.9 million on sales, up 3% to $24 million for the half-year December 31, 2020. Tyro reported a record positive earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortisation, or EBITDA, of $8.5 million and a statutory net loss after tax of $3.4 million, an 82% improvement. Medicinal cannabis company Can Group reported revenue from sales of $1.08 million for the six months of December 31, 2020, compared with $570,000 a year before. Its operating loss widened in the period to $9.4 million from an $8.4 million loss a year ago. Ampol posted a full-year loss of $485 million, mainly due to coronavirus restrictions limiting travel. Parenti reported a first-half net statutory loss after tax of $63.8 million from a profit of $38.2 million last year. Underlying net profit after tax was $44.6 million, down from $60.1 million a year ago. New Zealand broadcaster Sky Network has more than tripled its net profit to New Zealand $39.6 million on sales of New Zealand $356.9 million for the half-year to December 31, 2020. Hub24's revenue rose 18.9% to $64.1 million, while net profit climbed 1.4% to $6.1 million. 
online trading platform Highpages has posted a statutory net loss of $5.9 million for the half year to December 31, 2020, but said its pro forma or adjusted net profit of $1.5 million beat expectations as revenue growth and cost savings boosted margins. Insurance broker network owner AUB Group's revenue rose 3.1% in the first half of fiscal 2021 to $168 million, while its after-tax profit jumped 44.5% to $24 million. National Storage REIT's revenue rose 14% to $99.6 million, while net profits slid 33% to $101.4 million. Illumina reported a statutory full-year net profit after tax of US $146.6 million, down 31% from a year ago. Gas Pipeline's owner, APA Group, has posted an $11.7 million after-tax loss in the first half of fiscal 2021 due to a $249.3 million non-cash impairment recognised against the Orbos gas processing plant. Romilius Resources revenue soared 116% to $342.2 million, while EBITDA climbed 193% to $192.8 million. Net profit after tax rose 297% to $81.3 million. Online beauty retailer Adore Beauty appears on track to beat its full-year prospectus forecast after delivering a 180% increase in net profit to $2.5 million for the December half, buoyed by sales of at-home beauty products. Underlying earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortisation soared 188% to $5.2 million, exceeding interim prospect forecasts of $3.3 million. Monodelphus has delivered an 11% increase in interim net profit to $31.6 million. Aged care provider Estia Health, whose Melbourne homes have been the centre of major virus outbreaks, reported a loss after tax of $5.3 million for the first half of fiscal 2021, reflecting the impact of COVID-19 and the ongoing funding and financing challenges of residential aged care. Superloop narrowed its first half net loss to $18.9 million from $21.4 million a year ago. Polynovo's revenue rose 24% to $12.6 million. However, it still recorded a loss after tax of $3.5 million. Asset manager VGI Partners has reported a full-year net profit down 7% to $25.9 million on revenue of $56.8 million. Wally's revenue slid 29.3% in the first six months of the new financial year, while net profit slid 61.1% to $60.1 million. Spirit Technology Solutions, previously known as Spirit Telecom, turned a first-half net profit of half a million dollars and reported revenue more than tripled to $44 million. Online jobs marketplace Freelancer has narrowed its full-year net loss for 2020 to $646,000 versus $1.5 million in 2019. Nickel miner Mercenaries has reported net loss down 148% to $12 million, on sales down 21% to $122.7 million for the half-year ended December 31, 2020. Online retail marketplace MyDeal.com.au Limited swung to a first-half loss of $2.3 million from a profit of $0.8 million and revenue more than tripled to $21.2 million. Oil Search reported full-year net loss after tax of US $320.7 million from a profit of $312.4 million a year ago. Sleep treatment business Somnomed has reported net profit down $274,859 to $491,571 on sales down 7% to $30.8 million. Gold miner Silver Lake Resources statutory after tax profit rose 48% to $65.8 million. Gold miner Pursuit Mining reported its first half profit rose 21.3% to $36.1 million after revenue rose 4.5% to $386.7 million. 
Medibank Private's first half net profit rose 27% to $226.4 million. Accent Group's revenue rose 55.3% to $478.1 million, while profit climbed 57.3% to $52.8 million. Steadfast Group's revenue rose 8% to $378.6 million, while its net profit climbed to $73.4 million. Centre Group swung to a full-year loss of $3.8 billion from a profit of $1.2 billion a year ago. Nine Entertainment reported a 2% fall in revenue to $1.16 billion, while net profits soared 79% to $182 million. Ethical Fund Manager Australian Ethical Investments underlying net profit after tax was $4.9 million on operating revenue up 10% to $25.9 million for the half year to December 31, 2020. Appen said that full year profit rose 21.4%, $50.5 million, after revenue increased 11.9% to $599.9 million. Sydney Airport reported a loss of $145.6 million. Woolworths revenue climbed 10.6% to $35.8 billion, while profits soared 28% to $1.1 billion. Nanosonics reported a first half net profit of $1.46 million, down 74% compared to a year ago. Vitamins business Blackmores has reported a half-year profit down 3.7% to $18.9 million on sales down 3.1% to $302.6 million. Regis Healthcare said the first half net profit declined 9% to $11 million after revenue increased 6.3% to $353.1 million. Maine Pharma swung to a $181.3 million loss for the first half. Sealink Travel reported first half statutory net profit after tax of $32 million, up 266.4% compared to a year ago. Bega Cheese reported a 154% increase in first half net profit to $21.7 million after revenue dipped 4.5% to $707.7 million. IWF Holdings net profit slid 52.7% to $554.4 million. Monash IVF has guided to full-year reported net profit of $23.7 million, $25.7 million over the $11.8 million of 2019-20. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Matt Nguyen, policy lead at Reset Australia, who is concerned about the amendments to the median bargaining code the government brought in to get Facebook on board. And I'll be talking to economist Nicholas Gruen, analysing whether Jacinta Ardern's wellbeing budget actually works. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter, TalkingBizBLZ, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing Talking Business next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.